0: Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's Word with you through this week's message. Well, good morning. So glad to be able to come into your home today. Glad you are watching with us on this beautiful resurrection morning. Some would call it Easter, no doubt an incredible day. Well, I know there's a lot of people in our community that are not able to go to a church building this morning because they're closed, but there's one good thing that we can share this morning, and that is that the tomb is empty and Jesus has come out as well. And so we're just going to take a few moments this morning and just sit back and visit and talk and share a few scriptures and a few thoughts and Perhaps this morning the Lord will speak to you in an incredible way and minister to your heart during these, well, some times that we've never been through before, unprecedented in so many ways. I know definitely in my lifetime, never been through something quite like this as we have been experiencing. I want to ask you a question this morning, if you could answer this maybe in your own heart. But what do you think is and could be voted as the greatest event in history. What are some of the greatest things that have ever happened? We think back through time, and we could go all the way back, maybe to the printing press. What an incredible invention that was. Um, Massive amounts of Bibles being pushed out as a result of that incredible explosion of the gospel of the kingdom of God into the world at that time. And maybe some would say, well, I would have to say the greatest event or invention would be maybe the automobile. Perhaps it would be um, the transatlantic flight across the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. Some would say maybe the discovery of the North Pole. Or maybe it was the um, mountain climbed called Everest for the first time. Or maybe the first heart transplant or the light bulb that was Invented, or maybe the discovery of America. Lots of incredible moments back through our time, back through history, and we've all been blessed by those events, no doubt. But I would have to argue this morning and say that there is beyond a shadow of a doubt. The greatest event that's ever taken place in the history of the world was a little more than two thousand years ago, the resurrection of a man who said he was going to be resurrected. I mean, it's we we have stories, no doubt, of people that came back to life, and and those are incredible stories. Not to mention that at all, but I belittle that at all. But I want to say that this man that I'm talking about, Jesus of Nazareth, was the only man who ever prophesied or said or declared, I'm going to die and in three days I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to come back to life. and I'm not going to just come back. I'm going to come back and carry with me the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And and no other person has ever done that. I mean, there's, not only that, but he was literally prophesied about that that would happen through Isaiah and other great prophets in the past. Hundreds of years before he even came into uh, the earth, before he ever was born, they said and declared where he would be born and what he would do and how he would die. And and definitely an incredible story that only Jesus could have fulfilled. So thankful for the story of Jesus and the story of resurrection. Can you imagine? What it was like for Jesus, because we do know after he was resurrected, he was around the, walked around for, um, for 40 days and just kind of um, showed himself to people, and uh, hundreds of people saw him uh, after his resurrection. I want to mention three things real quickly this morning while we're here together. I want to talk about, I want to talk about these three things, the goat, I want to talk about the grave, and I want to talk about the garden. The goat, the grave, and the garden. All three things all tie in to what happened on this particular day 2,000 years ago. In the Old Testament, in Bible times, the high priest would come and bring the people together on a certain day of the year. It was the highest day of the year, the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement. It was the day that the sins of the people would be forgiven for at least a year, a temporary fix, not, not a permanent fix at all. It would be on this day, the Day of Atonement, uh, that the people would gather and, and a holy moment uh, for them, a day that they were so, had been so um, excited to, 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 to experience. And, and, and the high priest would bring two goats one on his right and one on his left. Two identical goats. And what he would do is he would stick his hand in an urn, a pot, if you would, and pull out some lots, um, rocks, if you would. And he would take one rock and he would put it over the head of one goat and he would take another rock and he would put it over the head of the other goat. Both identical goats. But one rock would say, live. And the other rock would say, die. The rock where he held it over that goat's head as he pulled it out randomly would be allowed to live out the rest of its life normally. But the goat that was given the rock that said death on it was slain and the blood sprinkled over the altar and the people's sins were forgiven. You know, when you unfold the whole story of Jesus' life, it's amazing how so many stories or things that took place religiously in the Old Testament were actually played out and fulfilled in the New Testament or in the story of Jesus. And so isn't it ironic that it was Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, that was put in this terrible position to have to condemn you know Jesus and he didn't find any fault with him he thought there was nothing wrong with the fellow in fact tried to find a way to 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 allow Jesus to live and and he came up with this idea well what if i brought the most wicked criminal of our time out here that's in prison right now that all the people hate the al Capone of the 20s the you know the Jesse James of the 1800s you know the 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 the, the 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 wicked, most vile criminal that you can imagine. Let's bring him out, and I'll set him there because the custom is I have to let one person go a year. Let him go free. Give him a pardon, if you would. And so this will be the moment. I use my pardon. And so he brings out a man by the name of Barabbas. We don't know a whole lot about the man other than the fact that he was a very wicked and cruel man that people did not like. And he stood Barabbas here on one side and he put Jesus on the other. And he asked the people, I must allow one person to go. Who would you say I let go? Barabbas, the wicked criminal, or Jesus, who you declare is the king of the Jews? Or he says, and they said, Barabbas, let Barabbas go free. And Pilate was amazed. Are you kidding me? Why a, a criminal like this, you would allow to go free? And so he allowed Barabbas to go free. Now, what's so amazing about this story is just even the fact of his name. Barabbas was two names together. Bar meaning the son of, Abbas meaning father. He was this, his name actually meant the son, the father's son. And what was Jesus? He also was the father's son, two identical goats, the high priest would bring in the Old Testament, two identical men, um, 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 Jesus became that, that goat, if you would. He, he became that lamb, he was God and he was man and Barabbas was the man and Jesus became like us and he took upon himself our sins, mm, the goat. And then we see also not just the goat, but we see also the grave. I think it's interesting, um, graves. I mean, I, I, I grew up in the Midwest, a little Midwestern town, and in the Midwest, actually, um, I lived right for a period of time across from a cemetery. And not many people, you know, usually are raised living across from a cemetery. It was, a, it was a kind of a crazy place to live. And, and I remember one time my, my grandfather Made me a wager, and he said, "Son, because it was a huge cemetery. It wasn't just like a just a small cemetery. This is a massive cemetery, like two blocks in dimensions." He said, "Son, I, I'll give you I'll give you five dollars if you'll walk through that cemetery at night, pitch dark, and and go to the other side, and, and then come back to this inn. I'll give you five bucks. Why five bucks?" At, that was a lot of money for me, at the little child at that time. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm on it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I, you got it. And so I, I made my way through the graveyard. Oh, I made it maybe 100 yards. And I'm telling you what, every fear known to man began to crawl up into my heart. And it began to cross my mind. And my hair stood back up on side my Everything seemed like it was making noises around me. And I could, it was like shadows, were big, huge monuments and things like that. And suddenly, man, fear just gripped my heart. And I just ran as fast as I could back to the house. And I never made it around that cemetery. Never then or even now. It's amazing the hopelessness and the fear that a cemetery brings to mankind. It's a place where It's the final end of someone's life. It's full of sorrow and tears and people are remembering what once was that is no longer in existence. It's where life ends and joy ends and it's not a place that you would go on a vacation, is it? And yet, the grave is where Jesus chose to begin life. It's where Jesus decided that life would begin. You know, for for us, isn't it ironic that life begins, you know, and, and then ends in a cemetery? But for Jesus, for us, through Jesus, literally, life begins at death and goes to eternity, to life. I remember what says Paul said about death in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? Mm. But thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our ch- church buildings may be empty today, but so is the grave. There is not a sting Anymore of the grave. It's amazing how Jesus took cemeteries and always turned them into places of life. Even he would come across a, a, a young man who had just died and he would put his hand on him and the young boy would be raised to life. He would go to Lazarus's tomb and in this emotional moment, Lazarus would come out of the grave. Jesus loved to term sorrow and pain and places of death into places of life. The goat, the grave, and the garden. Let me talk to you a little bit about the garden. You know, the garden, when we talk about the garden in the book of Genesis, is where it all started, right? For man, it all started in the garden. It's where it's where Adam and Eve were created. It's where God said, I want you to take this place here, and I, w- I want you to take dimension. I want, I want you to do something with it that's significant. I'm going to give you my authority to take this place that's right now um, needs structure and it and it needs your attention, and I want to give you a job and I want to ask you to take this garden and make it something profitable, and that was exactly what they were called to do and what they did, and they did it every day with the presence of God. In the cool of the day, the Lord would come and literally walk in the garden with Adam and. They experienced his glory and his presence all the time. It all started in the garden. I don't think it's by accident that when we read like the book of John, chapter 20, Mary who loved Jesus, many believe Mary was the one that had been caught in adultery, that Jesus had bent down and rode in the sand and and got back up with all of her accusers gone I believe it was this Samaria that came to the tomb the third day after Jesus had died to bring you know some flowers to bring some kind of a you know a um, you know appreciation you know like, as most people would do at a cemetery uh, to people that they love to go and visit and they remember and they they cherish those moments and as she went, what she noticed was the the grave was. Well, it was empty. What, what do you mean by that? Well, th- of course, we know the story that they had rolled the stone over the 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 grave, the tomb, because they they were fearful. the 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 Jewish people, the leaders of the Jewish um, uh, Philistines, uh, Philistine, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were, they were concerned that that um, that that someone would steal the body of Jesus and claim that he had been risen from the dead, and so they put guards there, and the the guards. <laughs> were were visited by an angel. There's an earthquake. the the stone rolls away. Mary goes into this tomb, and it's empty. Just the linen cloths are there. That's all that's left. Two angels, one at the head, one at the foot. They're saying, "What are you looking for?" He's risen, just like he said. Oh my goodness! Unbelieving. She's just shocked. She's shocked at what has someone has taken the body of her beloved Jesus, and she. She, she turns around and she sees this, this individual, this person. She, she didn't notice him before. And uh, she goes to him and she says, Sir, can you tell me where is the body? Where did they take Jesus? Where did they take my beloved Savior? He's, he's not here. He's gone. Someone has come and removed him. And, and she was desperate to find the Savior of her soul. Hmm. And she thought, here's the kicker she thought he was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. And Jesus, the gardener, turns to her and says, Mary. Well, at that moment, her eyes were open and she realized this was not a gardener. This was Jesus, the Son of the living God, her Messiah, Emmanuel, the one that perhaps was the one that wrote in the sand, the one that had forgiven of her sins, the one who had given her new life. This was was him. Jesus was the gardener. Isn't it interesting that it all began in a garden and then it all comes to a conclusion in the garden. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing all along. He begins in the garden, he ends it in the garden and he comes to us today And he challenges us as people, as now the second Adam. Jesus coming as the second Adam in the same setting where the first Adam had failed. And he puts man back into his original purpose and redeems. See, it's the story of the resurrection is that God literally sent his son into the world. For God's, you know, John 3.16, he so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. How do I know that God loves me? Is because He gave. See, love is an action. It's not a feeling. And, and God loves us, and so how do I know that? Because He gave. He gave the most precious thing. He had His Son into the world, into, a, into the earth, so we could be bought back, so we could be redeemed. So our relationship, get this, that our relationship with God, could be restored again. That's the whole purpose of life is to walk in life with our Creator, God the Father. Oh, what an incredible, incredible thing. So Jesus became the scapegoat. Jesus became life in a grave. And Jesus became our purpose in a garden again. There's a story I love to share um, that Soren Kierkegaard, a theologian, a philosopher, a Christian man lived back in the 1800s from, from uh, Holland. He, he shared this story one time and, and I thought it was really, really powerful that maybe we should share it today. There was a prince that wanted to find a maiden and um, he wanted... Um, a wife to be queen and uh, couldn't seem to find one. And one day while he was running an errand in a local village for his father, he passed through a very poverty-stricken section of the city. And as he glanced out the windows of his carriage, his eyes fell upon the most beautiful, elegant, pleasant maiden he'd ever seen in his life. The problem was she was a peasant. She was not um, of the class that he was. And during the ensuing days, as life unfolded, he would often pass through this part of the city and quite often looking for this particular young maiden that he had seen uh, weeks before and the more he saw her he just really wanted to know more about her in fact he he said in his heart i i want this woman to be my wife i i i don't know anything about her but how could this be i mean she's from a whole nother part of town she's from a a, a world that i'm not experienced with I don't know much about I, I don't live in that world I, don't, I'm, I live in this world up here And I, how could that ever be how could we ever connect mm. it's a problem how could I ever seek her hand well he thought to himself I, I have power I have authority I guess I could order her to marry me I mean I have that kind of legislative power. I could command her to become my wife and I could um, expect that to happen and I could write it into some kind of a decree and hand it to her uh, or have someone hand it to her and bring her to my palace. But, But even a prince doesn't really want to have a wife that is married to him because she has to, right? He thought, no, I... I don't think that would be the right approach," he thought to himself. "Well, maybe. Maybe I I could ride up to her house, with my carriage and my six beautiful horses and my shining armor or, or my outfit of polished silver and and, and maybe I I, I could I, I could ride up and and just cause her to be just absolutely amazed at. At, at my glory. But then he thought to himself, well, well, if I did that, then perhaps the only reason she would give her hand to me would be because she simply was overwhelmed with my splendor. There's got to be a better plan. There's got to be a better way. So the prince came up with another solution. He decided that he would take off his kingly robe and he would move to the very community that she lived in. That he would not enter into that city with his crown or with his prestige, but he would put on the very garb of a peasant. And he would live among the people and share their interests and learn their language and share their concerns and talk their talk and become just like them. And in time, the maiden met him. She was just another guy at the end of the block, just like her. She knew nothing about him, but she got to know him. And she began to fall in love with this young man. Not because of who he was, but simply because of his love really for, for her. And... And the more he spent time with her, the more she fell in love with him and said in her heart, I, I want to marry this man. I want to marry this man. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He took off his kingly robe. He came into the most lowly place a person could come. Not even born in a typical place where most people would be born. Born in a stable. <laughs> born into a smelly, manure-filled, stinky stable. And he was born there and took upon himself and wrapped. they wrapped him in milk rags. They wrapped him in, 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 in cloth that, the, that not even other babies would be wrapped in. He, he came in the most humble beginning that anybody could ever come in. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. He wanted to walk the walk that we walk. He wanted to talk the talk that we talk. He wanted to feel the feelings that we feel. He wanted to become just like us, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, came to the earth and lived amongst us and we beheld his glory, the Bible tells us. We talked to him, we touched him. It was God in flesh. It was God walking in the earth, in the flesh. So we would know how a person really is supposed to live. We didn't know until Jesus came, but now we know. And not only did he live, but he said, I am going to take all of your sins, and I am going to take them to a cross where there will be a shedding of blood. That's the only way sins could ever be forgiven. I'm going to take them to a cross, and I will not die just for you. But look at this. I will die for you. And Jesus died for you, and he died for me to be our Savior. We want to thank you for tuning in this morning. We want to tell you we love you, we care for you, And if there's anything we can do for you, we please would encourage you to contact us at summitchurch.tv forward slash connect. We pray and trust you have a wonderful day. God bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.